I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Great to hear. Um, I've been looking at code recently so um you don't say i mean that's i guess that's a, a significant part of my job these days as i've realized i don't write as much code as i would like and i look at a lot of code mm-hmm. and in particular as well we have uh, a number of of folks who apply to work with us and we ask them to do a nice little test we mm-hmm. I, I think it's nice it's nicer than the some of the hacker ranky type stuff that's around out there that's you know reverse a string in place kind of stuff but anyway it's a significant amount of code that folks write for us and Mm -hmm. one of the things i'm always interested in is the why people uh uh, write code in a particular way there's you know engineering is a trade-off it's always Mm -hmm. a trade-off right it's not uh it's more of an art than a science i think in a lot of cases and deliberately some of the things that i ask folks to write uh have many choices and i don't necessarily tell them what the trade-offs are and so it's always interesting when they then submit something to see and ask them why they made particular choices and Mm -hmm. sometimes those people will write giant comments above the code to explain the decisions that they made because they were trying to express intent to me the the reader and that's that's great and it just got me thinking you know i don't do that in my code when i'm writing code because you know presumably there's context around the people who are going to be reading my code have context but Mm -hmm. It got me thinking, how, what is a good comment? Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. a bad comment? What, what is a bad comment? Right. Yeah. Why, why do we write comments? Do we need them? Do, yeah. are, are they important? The compiler, certainly, or the interpreter doesn't see them. So they can't Hopefully be that important. Not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess with, with some things, you know, like the TypeScripty type things that you can get, you get like linters yeah. that will read the comments and then they go, hey, yeah. you know, that thing you said is a string. It isn't a string. But. In general, comments are for humans, not computers. Yeah, yeah. There is probably a whole category of like machine parsable comments, doxygen that are, things. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, yeah, uh, doc test and yeah. Oh, know, doc test is a great one. I yeah. Right. Yeah. There and and you know that that might be a little outside of the scope of what you're talking about here. No, but, I don't um, know. Actually, I think it really uh, it's another thing. That's a good comment because it's a test, and therefore yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is is expressing something that a computer can check for me, which is important. But that's not the yeah. only reason I write uh, comments, obviously. So, what's your thoughts on what what makes a good comment? I mean, I I'm in the same boat, I think, as you. Is generally, I don't comment my code if I find myself, and and I say generally because I do. There are comments in my code for sure, but I I don't make it a general practice to comment. You know, every method or every class or every anything like that. And I, I generally find that comments represent a sort of deficit in the code that sometimes can be overcome by just writing better code and sometimes can't, uh, either because there literally isn't a way to do it or I'm just not smart enough to do it. Right. The, the um, comment becomes an apology for the either complicated looking code that seems to be doing things it ought not to or, or is, uh, is, is otherwise unintuitive. And so you have yes. the comment explaining why, look, before you do this, uh, before you edit this code, be aware right. that there's some spooky action at a distance stuff going on here. And although it looks like you could replace it with a simple call to the standard libraries, blah, 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 you can't because of X. Mm-hmm. That's a comment that is like an apology that says, "My, I couldn't think of a cleverer way or a more intelligent way of doing this. But mm-hmm. then... 
the things that the comments that I sorry I'm stealing from you immediately here, but like yeah, you've 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 made me made me think that yeah the 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 comment that says um, apply interest rate and then the next line is uh, payment times equals one point one three. That's mm. not helping anybody. When I could mm. say const auto sorry C++ right. plus e, interest rate equals one point one three auto value including interest equals and, and you know oh suddenly i've just given names to variables that are human readable and in, express the intention and now the comment goes away which i think you know you and i agree on on, on that mm-hmm. i think that's that's one thing that one can do and that's i think what you're alluding to when you say if you can think of a way of writing it in a way that yeah exposes intent then you can get away with a comment very get away without a comment very often mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, the best way to write code is in a way where both the computer and the human can understand it, mm. right? Uh, instead of having to separate those two concerns. Because as we all know, in all things programming, creating unnecessary separation leads to things getting out of sync. And we know that no one has ever seen a comment that is out of sync with the code that it is immediately <laughs> above, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, trying to unify that is a great way Honestly, to Honestly, that's actually one of, the, the, one of the things that you mentioned that and only the other day I caught myself reading uh, a, a GitHub pull request and the code had been updated and the, the comment was big enough that it was above the fold of where the diff came uh, in yeah. in the GitHub pull request and I didn't realize that there was even a mention of like something that was part of the code and so of course i uh, accepted it it's like this is fine this is looks completely reasonable to me you've changed the code in that way and then on a later viewing when you're looking at the file in 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 totality you realize that the comment should have been updated as well and you just couldn't have been told from from that so there's a certain amount of context Mm -hmm. uh around it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that is it's it's funny because it's just another form of the same problem that programmers are very aware of is like okay we're gonna we're going to do that interest rate calculation in two parts of the code. We're going to have the interest rate calculation here and the interest rate calculation here. And you change one of them and you don't change the other one. And you've now introduced a bug, right? And it's like, well, yes, you unify those things. That's how you fix that problem. Yeah, the don't the repeat yourself. The information and comments. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, even, it, it, it can sometimes feel a little pedantic, honestly. It's sort of like, okay, well, I will name this function, uh, you know, calculate uh, yearly loan interest instead of like you know calc int <laughs> right um but like you're missing an opportunity to to name things when you do you know to, to express uh more information and in, in, you know basically the same number of lines of code when you do that and and one of the signs that i need to do that when i'm programming is if i feel the need to put that comment in there right exactly like, mm, maybe maybe i should find a better way right right and i mean um from a sort of C++ specific, or maybe not even C++ specific type of thing, but like another way that I find myself writing those sort of apology comments is in the explanation of like the interdependency between, say, parameters to a function. Mm-hmm. Like if you say, hey, if you pass in X, you can't pass in Y as well. And so like there's a thing that says precondition, either X must be truthy or Y must be truthy, but not both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, well... And so you write that in the comment and then maybe you even write like the assertion in the first line of the code that does that kind of thing. You're like, could I express my API so that it's actually impossible to to, to pass both parameters, right? Could I just write two right. functions, one that yeah. takes an X, one that takes a Y, and one that doesn't take either? And then maybe internally, 
I'll implement them in the same function because of whatever reason. But like the thing that I expose to the outside world doesn't even let you make that mistake anymore. So the fact that you had to kind of apologize and explain to somebody that Mm -hmm. this is not possible goes away. Uh, when right, they don't have right. the choice anymore and you yeah. know similarly with values and things you know uh if, if you've got like this value must be uh greater than zero in c++ there are edge cases where you say if it's signed or unsigned and it doesn't work as well as you would like it to but you can make types that are strong enough that to, to hold those um those those uh preconditions in them you know like I, for example we have things like uh quantity classes like a quantity of shares that can be traded and zero is not a valid quantity to be traded neither is a negative number and Mm -hmm. we can have a strong type around that and then i know that if something takes a quantity as a parameter i don't have to explain that to anybody that the quantity must be greater than zero because i can't give it a quantity that is less than zero it would have exploded in somewhere else right and that's part of the contract of of quantity um so there's some things that you can do like that again those are sort of c plus plus ish but i'm sure other languages have ways of doing similar things and yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 some of that is again, like you know, when I'm writing these kinds of things, and I feel like there are sort of different categories of code apologies here, comment apologies, and we could we could dive into those. But when I'm writing those things, it is sometimes. It, I mean, it, obviously, it's very hard to tell the difference as a programmer between there's no way to do this, and I don't know how to do this. Right. 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 Like sometimes, you know, sometimes you have this sort of intuitive sense of like, I think there's a way to do this, but I just don't know what it is. But oftentimes it's just like, yeah, I, I'm, I can't, I don't know. Right. And so uh, when you're sort of doing the, the one of like, okay, uh, I know there's a language feature that could categorically prevent this from being possible. And I am choosing for one reason or another to not use it. Right. Either because of you know might be would introduce a performance problem, or because uh you know you're just not familiar with the different edge cases and you feel like you might be you know pulling a regular expression and just trading one problem for another set of problems, or all the various reasons why you might choose not to do it. You might want to put a comment in there saying be like I think there's a way to do this using blah blah blah, but I'm choosing not to do this because of X right. Um, but there's also just the like. This is terrible, and I hate it, but I don't know how to make this any better. <laughs> That's a different, right? yeah, so as you say, it's a different type of apology there. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's just like, I'm sorry I'm not a perfect programmer. This is all I have to give, right? <laughs> um, and, and those, I think, are, <laughs> those are interesting. You were telling me a story the other day, actually, about uh, something like this, where like, there was a counter in the code. What was this exactly? Do you remember? I- I can't quite remember myself, but yeah, we were on the train and we, it, it, I was describing a story where I'd seen someone say there was like a comment that says, it looks like you can do X or Y, but um, if you attempt to try and replace X with Y or do whatever, then once you've discovered it's impossible, come back here and bump the counter. And it's the current value, you know, like 98, whatever. And so like 97 <laughs> previous times, someone had gone, there must be a way of doing this. And then they'd come back and I found some like compiler bug or find some like, you know, oh, no, that thing requires this. And then they come back and begrudgingly. Can you imagine sending that pull request where all you're doing is bumping the counter? (laughs) From 98 to 99. I give up. Yeah. (laughs) He so ever who can pull this function from the stone can be king, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. yes. That's, Uh uh, That's it. Yeah. And I do wonder what that was now. But I mean, I've seen things like that before. But one thing I would say about those apology comments, especially the ones that have more of that second feel, 
um, and maybe this segues into some other reason where I put comments in the code, um, are to-dos, like genuine mm-hmm. to-dos. And you can have, I think we may have t- discussed some of these things before, but yeah, generally, you know, each project may have a different discipline around to-dos. I've worked mm-hmm. on projects where to-dos are fine in branches, but you can't merge them into main. And that's mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, we can't go to production while there's a to-do in the code base. Mm-hmm. I've also worked on projects and the one that I'm currently on now where to-dos are a placeholder for this needs to be better, but in order to unlock some functionality that's really important and in order to sort of put a stake in the ground and say, this is some debt that I'm willfully accruing. And I know we've talked about debt and credit card debt or technical debt, various types of debt yeah, yeah, here, but yeah. like, you know, colloquially, this could be improved. You put a mm-hmm. to-do in the code. And for me, the important part is to then make a, a, a GitHub issue to track it or add it to yeah. a general thing. And I put in a list. And obviously, that's that, there you are repeating yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there, I've got a number in the to-do that references the, the GitHub issue. And then I try yeah. manually. And certainly, now I'm sort of on a project management side of things. I tag it as a to-do. And then there's a place to go to find all the debt. And obviously, Git grep to-do will find them all as well. And it's something that you kind of go like, I'm putting my hand up. It's not just me brushing it under the carpet <laughs> in a way. It's no, no, there's a way of finding all of these and then coming back to them and saying like, hey, I wonder if we can actually do that thing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I-, I think those kinds of comments, it's like there's a million ways to skin that cat. Uh, again, Don't skin cats. cats. No. I, I keep saying, using idioms. What are these idioms? There's You're a idiom. million ways to solve <laughs> that problem. Uh <laughs> You're an idiot. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I love that. Uh, the, the the you can solve that problem in so many different ways, and and the main thing for me is just having consensus among all of the people who are working on it. It's like, you know, whatever you pick, to do means this, fix me means that. Right. We're gonna have links to issues. We're gonna have just issue number. Whatever you do, just. Do it consistently and make sure that everyone is doing the same thing because there's nothing worse than having uh, code littered with these sort of like, well, one day we'll make this good type promises that you know are just hollow. That's right? it. Like that is the, they're yeah. unactionable. You can't right. go back to them. Right. There's and no you know plan. that you'll come back to it one day and the crash in production and you debug <laughs> it down to the line that says, someday we should probably fix this thing. I doubt yeah. this will ever happen in production, though. So for now, I'm leaving it. And you're like, oh, oh, dear. Right, right, <laughs> right. The thing that raises the air for the impossible case. And yes. you're like, well, it turns out not impossible. Uh, yeah, oh. totally. But yeah, all of those things, I feel like however you want to track those. Because the key thing there, I... I Personally, I find a lot of value in drawing a strong differentiation between what I would call technical debt and just a lack of capability. I see those as two very different things. Technical debt is more of the sort of thing we were talking about before, the former of like, I know there's a better way to do it and I'm, not, I'm just choosing not to do this. And, and it's not a question of like enhancing the capabilities of the system, but it's just like, I'm just writing bad code and really you should just not be doing that period but if you are and you put a sort of an apology in there and explain explain yourself like you know there are maybe some situations in which it makes sense to do that very tactically so long as you have the strong discipline to come back and fix them quickly um which is a whole other thing separate thing Uh, yeah right um but the 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 sort of like lack of capabilities of like you know um, we there are certain types of input data that we could potentially receive here that we can't handle. 
Right. Right. And to do, yeah, handle cases, you know, packets of this type, you know, snapshot packets or whatever right, packets. Right, yeah, right. Like, okay. And, yeah, and we just don't handle that right now. You, I wouldn't think of that, in most cases, I wouldn't think of that as debt so much as just like, that's just not a capability that you've built yet, right? Now, the debt might be like, okay, we don't handle these packets. And instead of raising a nice clear error mm-hmm. that says, like, we don't handle this type and it just warns logger.warn and you're like oh why is my yeah, log it just file like 200 gigabytes and it's like yeah exactly or it's like you know it ignores it or it drops yeah, it yeah, or yeah. it just pretends like it's a different type like that is debt that's a debt yeah but, but the that, lack of right? capabilities is but it's another good reason to put it to do in the code and say like hey the, I, f- if only to reduce the scope of a pull request perhaps where you're sort of like saying right. like hey i'm adding the functionality to even handle packets and mm-hmm. I've I handle heartbeat packets and I handle you know <laughs> echo packets, but there's yeah. all of the other ones I don't do because that's a significant amount of work that may even be right. in a separate PR that I'm separately got I haven't wired them together yet, but to do all of the rest of these things and that can be part yeah. of the PR. Yeah, exactly. That makes it manageable. Yeah. So that's a different yeah. that's a very different kind of comment from from the the explanatory mm-hmm. sort of because uh, those comment. kinds of comments let you make smaller prs and i think everyone kind of agrees that it's like when you, you know the smaller your prs can be the more atomic your changes can be the easier it is on your reviewers the less risk there is to roll those things out and so like whether you track those things in a github issue that is linked in the code or whether you just put it in a comment in the thing again there's a there's a million different ways to do that but pick one and do it and be consistent about it you know yeah. what i mean yeah. 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 So, so those are good comments. You know, they're they're, but they, they sort of almost uh, reflect a certain amount of project management or change management uh, information mm-hmm. in the code, right? Mm-hmm. But I think so. One of the questions we ask is what what makes a bad comment? And to yeah. me, the the obviously comments that are out of date or wrong are mm-hmm. inherently bad, and they're worse than no comment at all. Mm-hmm. That that's objectively those are terrible comments. You know, it's something that yeah. says. Uh, and now we sort the array. And then you look down, you're like, it doesn't sort the array anywhere in this function whatsoever. I have no idea what it's talking about. Right. right but then for right. me, the other thing that sort of uh, winds me up in, and again, this is context dependent, because again, when folks are submitting code ex- exogenously and they have to explain everything, that's the only mechanism that they've got, which is how we started this conversation. I am much more sympathetic to the explanation of the, of the and everything about it. Here's the discursive nature of it, because that's the only yardstick folks have got to to let me know what they were thinking right Mm -hmm. even though that's partly why if people uh get the uh, if they write decent code and it and it passes our test then you know we'll probably have a conversation about it in person and then they can tell me about it in person but that's that's not the point um but in in a production code base where you're you know on a team of 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 people um that that have already have agreed a sort of level of understanding about what the systems all are you don't have to continually explain well when i say this word i mean this other system that's in this you know i don't need that in every comment because you should know those things but the worst thing to see then is the the essentially just a restatement of the code but beneath it you know add to you know like like our interest rate calculation from before it's like and now we do this thing and then there's a block of code and then then we do this other thing and there's a block of code and now I have written that for like more complicated things, but I think where the complication comes in, right? So I had a very performant, well, supposedly very performant piece of code and I re- that I rewrote and mm-hmm. it went from the obvious and straightforward way of doing everything to the, well, you wouldn't really want to do it any th- this way for real, but like I know that I need to go incrementally in memory in order to you know mm. stick to certain cache 
line things that I know and are important. And this is not the obvious way of phrasing it, but again, this means that the branch prediction is done in a particular way and this mm-hmm. is a constant time and then this thing, you know, all those kinds of things, right? And so there I busted out the whole thing into um, stages of a loop and each part of the loop did have a small explanation of what each bit was going underneath it. And I felt that was more justified, but it's it's on that knife edge. Um, if it wasn't so performance sensitive and it wasn't so um, tangled because of the fact that I had willfully essentially inlined what would have been many different functions into one loop to make it so that I could make these assumptions and pass things around by value and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, then mm-hmm. the obvious solution in general purpose code is if you have a little comment that says this next block of code does X, Y, and Z is you extract it into a function and you call the function that. Right, yes. Which comes back exactly. to our kind of, uh, yeah, and, and very often. So um, I think it's um, uh, Tony Van Eerd has, uh, I think it was him, there was a C++ talk and we were talking about like, how many times do you need to repeat a piece of code before you extract it into a function? And, you know, people, there were various hands going up, you know, well, the third time that you duplicate the piece of code, you should, you know, make a function in it. You know, how, when is it okay to copy that code around? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, his point was like, sometimes zero times of duplication. Sometimes yeah, it's a piece yeah. of code that stands by itself. And even though it's not used by anything else in the entire program, it's useful to give it a name and... Mm-hmm define the things that it can and can't see what's in scope for it and Mm -hmm. the parameters that it needs to take that are transient and then the things that are stateful that are inside the object maybe it lives in or it's a free function or anything like that and i'm like that's a great way of also giving a name to a piece of code you know like part first we x then we y then we z becomes do x do y do z right right yeah it's like why do you put paragraphs in prose to make them easier to read right it's the same the same basic idea Right? It is. I mean, there's an argument there that says, you know, in the, in the pro sense, the paragraphs definitely make it easy to read, which is kind of what you're capturing when you start putting extra spacing and then you put a block of comments in front of each thing. You're kind of yeah, paragraphing it up there. we have a better way to do that, we, right? Yeah. yeah. And now the argument against that is that now you can't see the implementation of each of those line after line. You see a function call and another function call and another function call. But if the name as an abstraction of what it's doing is accurate enough, mm-hmm. then you've what you've got is the the precy of what you're doing step by step right. and of course you can go any decent ID will will let you go to the definition or in some cases you mouse over the the name of the function then it'll expand it out and show you well this is what that function is by the way and if it's only a right. few lines then that's great so i feel we have the the tools and technology to 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 do yeah this. and also every line of code that you wrote is also that right you don't <laughs> You, you don't even know what the system calls are implemented like, right? I mean, in C++, <laughs> you've overloaded every operator known to mankind, and you don't even know that 1 plus i is, is doing what you think it's doing. Right, right. You know right. Yeah, exactly. So, so, like, you have to operate at some level of abstraction. You have to pick a level of abstraction. Right. Uh, you, you might as well pick a, a good one that's it's easy to understand and, and easy to read, right? Right. Um, one of the other places, so you mentioned, you know, uh, you know maybe blocking things like out like this out for performance reasons and kind of putting those things in there. Uh, and, and certainly I can imagine some scenarios, depending on what your compiler is doing for you, where, you know, extracting those things out into functions might have a material impact on the performance itself or might make it harder to kind of pull some of the... Right, right. I mean, compi- let's just get... Reasons. Compilers are really smart about doing this, but sometimes it's not feasible for them and you want to give them a hand. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another place where I do find myself writing these comments, which are, I, I don't even necessarily call them apologies. It's just sort of like, yeah, this is just complicated, is thread safety. Um, yes. So there, there are situations where you have, you know, multi-threaded 
uh, code and you know the way that those threads might interact with each other is very non-obvious and a few choice comments to the reader to say like hey make sure that you acquire this lock and I've done my due diligence to try to design that into the API as much as I can but sometimes you actually have to change the API and when you do make sure that you acquire this lock because if you don't then that's going to create very very subtle bugs which will not show up in the unit tests and might not even show up in any sort of system or smoke test until something catastrophic happens. That's a really good point. Um, and you, you make a very good point as well about the fact that, you know, sometimes that is, can be designed out of the API. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and I think in certainly there are some annotations, I think in like some Java annotations, perhaps. Um, certainly are you there is. like the synchronized keyword? Uh, no, no. I thought there were annotations that you could actually apply to something and say like the at protects and then some list of parameters, maybe just for static code analysis. Is that not something? Or I've seen I mean, it. Maybe. I've seen it in some language, maybe it wasn't Java, but like I know C++ in theory, there are a set of keywords or magical sacred comments that sort of allow mm -hmm. static analysis to check these things, in which case that's even better, right? You can sort of encode oh, yeah. it. I mean, there's still the why though. That's, right. that's, I think that ultimately all of the good comments that aren't procedural, um, like, you know, to-dos that we discussed, all of the best kind of comments are the why. The thing that you really can't get the intent from this is like it exists outside of the fabric of the code is the why on earth we would do it this way or why on earth you need to do this or why this is even something that is anyone would want to do. Right, right. Um, not necessarily the how because the how right. with the appropriate amount of scaffolding in the names of things um, and with, you know, just actually just reading the code in theory, mm -hmm. any human given enough time should be able to extract the 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 how it's working and indeed what the what it's doing more specifically but mm -hmm. why who knows right yeah 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 that's um, that's a place that you should you should comments can be super valuable in that case for for sure uh one other kind of bad comment that i uh was going to mention is when the comment is code when you've just commented out code and then left it in the code and then committed it. And oh my gosh! Why is yeah. this here? Like we have source control for this. What did? Yeah. Why did you leave this here? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's yeah. You no see reason that? to do that. I, I've seen that a lot with folks who aren't software engineers first and foremost, mm -hmm. or junior folks who haven't yet learned to trust their tools. And they're yeah, like, "Yeah, I keep yeah. toggling backwards and forwards between these two things." And I'm like, "Okay, um, first of all, if it's something that you don't, uh, you you keep." around just because there was that one time you needed it, then mm -hmm. either you can stash it, get stash it, and then it doesn't need to be commented around. So it doesn't need to be checked in. Or if it's important enough that it does need to be checked in, make a command line flag to run it in that mode, if you can do it in that kind of thing. That's another thing I've mm -hmm. seen. It's like, oh, yeah, I just want to keep around, hang, hang on to the intermediate files that this tool generates. You know, it makes right. a temporary directory, writes a whole bunch of stuff in it, does some processing with it, and it outputs a single thing. And then it's really convenient to be able to look at the innards sometimes when it's gone wrong, or more, more likely when it's gone right, but you want to see why it went right, and so it had deleted. And you're like, well, stop commenting out the line that says delete the thing at the end. Make it a command <laughs> line flag. Right. Um. Or, you know, I've seen people hard code in, in the middle of their code, they've got the thing that refers to their, their like, home directory that they've commented mm -hmm. out and said, yeah, it's really convenient to be able to, like, output this, the thing at this point here. And, like, yeah, oh, don't yeah. check it in. Yeah, no, so, please, please don't. But so, so yeah, like, commenting out large gobs of code because you're not sure mm -hmm. about whether you might need it or not, mean you could lean on your source control. And if you think you're going to need it more often than not, then just find a way to incorporate it so that it gets compiled along the rest of the code. It gets refactored automatically. Right. 
exactly. rather than just sitting in a comment and you know rotting away in a way that no one's going to find and maybe it's a useful function for somebody else too hey if you thought it was useful to do this maybe someone else will as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. yeah there's a bunch of things like that and and i really i do think that's the the most dysfunctional form of this is the sort of commented out utility main or method that people will selectively uncomment and like you know put their home directory in or whatever like not only does that create sort of you know accidental unnecessary noise when you like you know change the home directory and you 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 commit the change just cuz it wrote along with all of your other things but also like you know there is a risk with these things like if you're using them for like real operational tasks that they get out of sync with the code in ways that won't fail cleanly right like you would hope that if it got out of sync with the compo- code and it was a compiled language you know you'd uncomment it and you'd get some red squiggly lines or the compiler would give you an error but especially in more dynamic languages, it's entirely possible to just run and do something that you absolutely did not expect it to do yeah. at all because the code has changed in the last six months and you know those functions you're calling don't work like that anymore. Yeah, right? that's an interesting one. So yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a really kind of like almost no excuse, right? Like <laughs> you should kind of just never have commented out code. I, c- I could almost forgive like two back-to-back commits where you like put some code in there and then you have another follow-on commit that deletes it just so that it's like all right what's well, in version history now if i ever right. need it again it'll be there yeah i mean you can make you can put it in a branch that never gets to main although you know yeah, again still there it's there's gonna a rot. million ways to yeah. do that right but please 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 do not just comment the code out and stick it in there and expect for it to live on forever That's so that actually reminds me of another comment type that is valuable and it's a comment that you should never see ever in a checked in piece of code and it is the comment that says do not commit oh uh, yeah uh-huh. and it's really 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 so i was thinking again about the home directory type thing like mm-hmm. despite all my protestations to the contrary of course pragmatically up against the gun sometimes i am going to make some bespoke changes to the code just to mm-hmm. exhibit a particular bug or to make something happen that just needs to be done right there and then and while testing it or in the pr or whatever um you definitely don't want that to make it into into production. Mm-hmm. So the having a pre-commit hook, and everyone should have a decent set of pre-commit hooks. There's no there's some there are plenty of choices out there for pre-commit hooks and managing them in a sensible way. My favorite is pre-commit, I think is the name of mm-hmm. the thing pre-commit. Yeah, that's and it's a little Yeah, it's a little Python thing um that is very principled about how uh, like little plugins for each of the things that you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um it's cool. Um, but there's Husky, I think, in JavaScript land, and I'm sure there's millions of others. But anyway, have a pre-commit hook that says, hey, don't let people check in stuff that says do not commit. And then mm-hmm. it's fairly, fairly safe to to then train people to say, if you are making the kind of horrific, you know, bool production equals true somewhere in the middle of your code base, right? Yeah. immediately right. put a comment on the same line that says do not commit. And then yeah. you know that you are being protected from the catastrophic check-in that will will cause all sorts of issues. And of course, obviously it's incumbent on reviewers to make sure that these things don't make it through. But mm-hmm. in the ebb and flow of things, I mean, we've all been there where you've reviewed a PR and said, yeah, this looks basically good to me. Can you just test this thing and make sure that that's uh, comments aligned here or whatever, and then it's good. And then you've approved the PR. And then, of course, the person's gone away and they've done what, the, you know, some quick chest tests before, you know, they've made a little change and they've tested it. And they thought, well, I better check that thing. And they 
they make that kind yeah, of change yeah, and then they go right. oh everything's fine they check it in and you're like yeah. oh i did not app-. and unless you have the thing that makes you approve them every single time you know including the exact right. specific version then then there's a chance of of sneaking it not even sneaking i mean accidentally getting something yeah. and that everyone with a good faith was like oh sugar i didn't mean to do that but if you put do not commit you're in a good right. way yeah yeah no i love those and honestly that the project that i'm working on right now uh we haven't added that and i kind of want it we've gotten away with not having it because we do the thing i think we talked about this in a prior episode where you know we have to do comments and they they mean very specific things and they can't be merged to main like there's a right check that prevents that but there's nothing that would prevent someone from doing like you say the sort of production equals true and you maybe like run that on your local machine for like a very bespoke focused experimental test and then you forget about it, and then you check it in, and now all of a sudden the thing that's running in the branch environment is accessing production data, right? Now, hopefully, we've got our Terraform set up to where it couldn't actually change any production data, but I don't want to figure out if that actually works by doing that, right? That's, yeah, there are some <laughs> you know, tests. Let's not test the seatbelts by running into a brick wall, right? Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good idea. Yes. Speak, yeah, as we both have uh, teenage new drivers uh, that's a bit top of mind for me <laughs> at the moment <laughs> yeah right 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 yeah no uh, so so yeah, yeah that's that's i i can't think of any other type of comment that i've oh no let's talk a little bit about uh documentation comments because i i recently had a a, a fairly uh interesting conversation with somebody on my team because they were putting uh, comments, sort of doxygen style comments in front of stuff. And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know. And again, they they tend to have a flavor, especially when there's things are, when the, the, the linter rules, if, you, if, if you're if you used to them, say, oh, you need mm-hmm. to document every parameter. But you know that, that very often you're, you're, you want to document the function because you want to have like a one-liner that's human readable. And that seems laudable still. Okay, maybe. Um, again, I would like to think that a name would hopefully ca- carry that information. But this person was thought there was value in it and i'm like okay i I'm, maybe i'll go with this but then the sort of app param uh you know bob the bob to act on you know it's the function's called you know mm-hmm. act on bob and it par- takes a param bob and you say this is the bob to act on and it returns the acted upon bob and you're like you know that's not helping right. me that's not useful that's noise it's now six or seven lines above the function that are explaining to me obvious things um mm-hmm. The point that they were making was that, you know, you mouse over and their IDE gives them a very nice explanation of everything and highlights and links all the types and things in a nice way when it's a doxygen thing. And so I'm I'm warm to it. And in particular, the part of the code base that they're working on has like a slightly more external uh, visitor, sorry, external user kind of facing aspect mm. to it. And I'm like, well, OK, it's not the worst thing in the world to have some documentation around something. But I'm, as you can hear in my voice, I'm still on the fence about it for all the reasons that it almost on purpose duplicates the code but it duplicates it so that maybe someone who is not as intimately bound up with the the code and everything to do with it can understand what that function is doing and mm-hmm. can read a documentation that says you know this is how to uh, i don't know from the fromnicator mm-hmm. this will come uh as not a shock to our listener in the slightest but if you gave me the choice between getting docs with a, a library and getting the test for that library, I'm going to choose test the 10 times out of 10. Yes. Uh, because I will find them much more useful and much more informative. And especially if I can edit them and rerun them, that will be extremely valuable. Right. I do understand and I can relate to the sort of like, it's nice to have that sort of IDE pop up that shows you that information. 
And I would say, like, if you really wrote your doc strings or your whatever whatever documentation system you're using to do this, if you really wrote that with the reader in mind and you really wrote it in the context of this is what's going to pop up when I hit, you know, control space or hover over this thing. And I want the reader in that specific context mm -hmm. to have this information. I wouldn't be opposed to that at right. all. In fact, I could maybe even see that as being useful. But I think, unfortunately, most of the tooling around this, you sort of like, you know, create the start, the start of the doc string and then your ID sort of fills out the template of the whole thing. That's right, yeah. And then it's like you're, you either have to go and then change all of those settings and then share all those settings among everyone on your team. They're all using the same template for all of these things to make sure that it's not unnecessarily polluting your code with, you know, Bob parameter equals Bob. Um, or you have to do other things to sort of strip that out. And it just seems like a whole bunch of effort to take something that is marginally valuable and make it like slightly less annoying. Right. 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 So I don't know. I mean, it's, if it were, if it were me, I would just lean toward, can we not? But I, if, if I had someone that was like, no, no, I really, I really want to commit to this. And yes, I've changed all the ID settings and I've checked those, uh, you know, configs in and here's how you load them into your ID. And we're just yeah. going to do this. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't fight against that. Yeah, it sounds like we're of a similar similar mind there. And I'll be honest with you, in, in particular Doxygen, my heart always drops every time I click on the documentation for something, you know, an external th uh, thing and I like an open source project and it takes me to a document a Doxygen mm, route. Mm -hmm. uh, like the Boost Boost documentations, which is obviously one of the bigger libraries for C++ and a lot of the C++ standard features were first implemented in this Boost library and then kind of adopted as part of the language. So things like SharePoint is something. So a lot, a lot of good heritage there. And But um, it's a huge library and it's, it has a lot of complicated um, functionality and the documentation is hit and miss. Some of them you click on something and it goes to a big explanation page about like, hey, you want to use asynchronous I.O.? This is a primer on what we mean by asynchronous. This is how threads work. This is how our abstract, and you're like, this is great. I want all this stuff. Other times you just get to the, the head of um, uh, a documentation tree that was generated entirely by reading the code and generating the doxygen stuff. And it's all function name, uh, you know, from exactly as we described, right? And oh, it's just that yeah. on the other end. I'm like, well, I could guess that from the name of the thing. I'm trying to work right. out how to use it. Can I have an example, please? Can I see how things fit together? What What is, you say that this is the Bob to pass, but what is a Bob? And you click on the Bob and it says, this is the Bob class. And you're like, I know it's the Bob class. Thank you. I'm, I can read code, but and, and it, yeah. it's, it's frustrating. And yeah, documentation, I guess, is a whole other episode, I would suggest. Yeah. And I mean, I, I would say, you know, one of the, the you know, kind of, coming back to comments like one of the good comments that you can have is if you have that type of documentation either for a third-party thing that you're using or maybe even something that you've built yourself that is maybe just hosted in a different place having like a link to that type yeah. of documentation in the code sort of at the point where you would need it is super useful right and i and i really appreciate you know most ides and editors and everything will just like open your browser when you like you know click on those things on those things yeah uh, and, and it's and it's great to have but but yeah, the whole like uh, one of my first jobs out of school was working in a company that sold graphics libraries, C++, Java and uh, C Sharp graphics libraries. And part of what we would deliver to customers is like generated documentation, right? Um, both like generated docs in, in the form of like, here's how you do this library. And we would do, you know, things with like the documentation system that we were using to create, you know, graphs and charts and diagrams and all these other things but also just like the sort of, you know, method and class level documentation. And uh, 
I never recall anyone ever complaining about that class level and method mm-hmm. level documentation, which tells me that they almost certainly never read it. Yeah. Because let me tell you, <laughs> it was not the best. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, documentation documentation is difficult. And I mean, just to sort of finish up on that, that's one of the places where we started talking about, like, the, if you can put tests inside your comments above mm-hmm. the thing. That's one place where I found that very valuable is the Python style doc test where I can mm-hmm. write the explanation of, like, this is how to use my class at, right above my class definition. And then yeah. I can actually put the what you would type into a REPL and what the REPL would mention back to you and first of all that's readable inside mm-hmm. the generated documentation and secondly it's actually checked and make sure that, yeah, that i yeah. it, that it still works which means that if i rename something and forget to update the documentation often at least the cody part of it will will go wrong and i'll be told and that's that's what i uh, i want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so let me ask you what what would you call a sequence of uh conversation pieces as we've just been discussing about comments would that be a, a collection of those would that be a commentary yes uh-huh <laughs> uh maybe maybe the title of this episode should be comments on comments yeah <laughs> maybe it will i normally uh, I, I leave that to you to come up with the name of the episodes but uh, we, can, no, we can brainstorm it I'm, I'm gonna have to think about this all right now. well this, dear this, listener you so will many get pun activity pun potential here i can't pass up on this one that's a good one uh, this is me throwing a gauntlet down in in front of you there so whatever this gets ends up being called you'll know that ben ben was responsible for it yeah <laughs> and and it's <laughs> i am the head of the department of puns here at two's compliment that is correct <laughs> That is correct. <laughs> well, I guess um, that's about all time we've got today for mm-hmm. for this. It's been fun as always. Yeah, yeah, this is a good one. A good one. Cool. Well, uh, I'll catch up with you later in the week. Yep. Bye. You've been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rainey and Matt Godbold. Find the show transcripts and notes at www.twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Mastodon. We are at twoscompliment at hackyderm.io. Our theme music is by Inverse Phase. Find out more at inversephase.com. <laughs>